0: Welcome to Podcast 11, The Extra Bits, kindly sponsored by Static Control. I'm David Connett, and I'm joined by our resident guest, Lightword, Senior Analyst, Peter Mayhew, and today with GM Technologies Director of International Business, Zoltan Mathias. When we got together recently to record Podcast 11, we actually talked for nearly two hours and recorded a lot more than we could fit into one podcast. The extra bits are some of the more interesting views and comments from the panel, and we hope that you enjoy them. Thank you.
1: Next one is a report that we got here from the United Arab Emirates where there was a find of 72,000 fake cartridges that were seized
0: by HP working with the UAE authorities. Yep, listeners might well have guessed that I'm not the biggest fan of HP.
1: That's <laughs> right. <No> but,
0: <laughs> but let's you know be unequivocal about this. Counterfeiting is a crime. Period. Every counterfeit cartridge is bad for everybody. It's bad for HP or any of the OEMs simply because they've invested to develop that technology and they lose the sale. But it's triply bad for the aftermarket because. If somebody buys a counterfeit cartridge and it doesn't work, the first thing it does is it drives them back to buying an OEM product, and the aftermarket loses that customer. And then the third whammy is that that counterfeit cartridge, HP don't want it back. So it gets put into a recycling program, and then it's the remanufacturers and the collectors that end up with these counterfeit cartridges in their waste cycles, and they have to deal with it. That's the rub. So as far as I'm concerned, HP, all power to your elbow in terms of dealing with counterfeits, because I think every legitimate company in the industry supports you. And if you're counterfeiting, you're not being clever. You're a criminal period, just whether you you could be a bank robber or a fraudster or whatever. You're a criminal, period.
1: You're absolutely right there, David, and um, it's interesting. If you're concerned that you may have been sold a counterfeit product, HP actually have a some excellent resource on their website. Just go to Google, just put in HP anti-counterfeit, anti- and there's a great website there where you can scan the your QR code and uh, enter that into the website, and it will tell you if you've got a genuine product or not, or you can enter some data in there. Also, it tells you how to read the holograms that they place on all of their packaging there to check if you've got a genuine product or not. So there's a lot of resource out there if you're unsure. And even if you're a, a dealer or a distributor and you're a little bit concerned about the the inventory you re- you've received there, you can ask HP to come in and check what you've got there and um, help you to understand if you've got a problem with your uh, inventory there too. So a lot of, a lot of useful
0: inf- information and useful results out there too from HP. Yeah, Sultan. Do you see much counterfeit product in your collection programs?
2: No, to be honest, not. Okay. Um, no, we haven't seen much. Um, obviously, we're you know we're we're uh, focusing entirely on the on the copier range. I believe the counterfeiting probably is more more a printer end user issue than uh, than a copier issue. But yeah, I totally um, totally agree with you. It's a crime. It's bad for everybody, and uh, and it needs to be needs to be stopped
0: with uh, whatever we can do about it. I agree. I mean, the fact that it's the UAE, you know, you, you see product coming in from Asia, packaging mm. coming in from somewhere else. They come together, and then and and this is typically uh, what happens. A dealer will buy a pallet of product, and probably one in three products on that pallet will be counterfeit. And so they then sell it on. What HP are doing? Their anti-counterfeit and fraud team—they go and visit dealers and they check out deliveries uh, and everything else, so that they they can spot them. So they do trace it back. But yeah, and the UAE authorities are. Compared to five eight years ago, are, are really hot on it, but it, it it is an issue because where UAE is located, you can ship into Iran, Iraq, and into uh, East Africa, and that's where a lot of the product disappears to.
2: Yeah, one of the one of the interesting aspect would be to trace that back to manufacturing, because as uh, as I'm being told, um, a counterfeit cartridge is a uh, is a new built cartridge packed as an OEM cartridge. Yeah. That you know usually happens at the counterfeiter who does that, who basically purchases new built cartridges and changes the packaging. Yeah. So it would be it would be interesting to see where those cartridges are actually made, and um, and and trace that back and see if um, if manufacturers who actually make those new built cartridges, uh, you know who they sell to.
0: That requires uh, an in-depth knowledge of being able to analyse the cartridge, see the mould marks, etc., yep. and do that. The yep. other thing you got to remember is that in Asia, you know, you might have paid for a new set of moulds, legitimately making product. They get to a certain age where the the parameters start to wear. Those moulds get sold on to a dealer, who then mm-hmm. sells on to somebody else, who sells them on to somebody else the traceability of the moulds is is sort of fairly complex. but But it it would be good to, in some way, be able to track that product back to its origin. That's
1: an exercise, an interesting
0: one too. Yeah. I'm sure the authorities will keep it up and, and all parts of them, you know. If I... I'll be honest, I've come across counterfeit product in, in the past and I have no hesitation whatsoever in forwarding all the information onto the OEMs. Ultimately, the purer the channel is, the the better it is for everybody. What's next, Peter? I think we overlooked uh, Rico's phone. We,
1: <laughs> we certainly did. Um, with respect to my dear friends I have so many friends in this industry it's almost a shame to pick on them but sometimes you just have to pull them up and this was the home uh, goal that, uh, that RICO scored when they the presentation of their um, management plans uh, that's right they made some announcements there which were uh, reported on by Bloomberg came out with saying that print is dead because RICO have uh, announced that they're moving to uh, shift their business far more towards digital services uh, focused on workplaces and of course that caused a, uh, I think, a rally in their stock price, but it also, I think, caused uh, a number of their sales operations uh, to receive quite a lot of phone calls from their channel partners and uh, customers, uh, saying, did you, did you, did you really mean to say that your um, Implication there that you're moving away from print, uh, which I think
0: caused uh, their PR department some some consternation. I understand. I got this phone call asking what I knew about it. The guy runs a business, uh, Rico Dealership, and he, he is literally weeks away from selling it, and he thought this was the most catastrophic news <laughs> in the world. Rico realised that their error. They they came out and said, no, 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 we're absolutely committed to print, and everybody took a deep sigh of relief. You know, you got to wonder in a organisation the size of Rico they hadn't really thought through the language that they were using, you know, and PR 101, is, you know, you don't leave your bread and butter audience hanging like that. Absolutely right, David. An, inter- an interesting one. And I guess, you know, speaking of PR,
1: maybe it's a good point on which to... Um so we've got the something on websites. Maybe that's a good place to go to now. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, David, you know a lot about websites. Yeah. What's the, what? What would you normally spend
0: on uh, revamping your website? I don't know. It depends, really. I mean, we have built. A, we we spend about eight thousand, ten thousand euros a year on the website. Yeah. We built a few e-commerce sites for different people. Anywhere between two thousand and. The biggest one was 20,000, uh, euros. So, uh, yeah, oh, that, that's yes. sort of obviously these are more medium businesses. You know, it's not Rolls Royce or Volkswagen or anything like that where obviously the investment is uh, significantly larger, but regular run of the mill website, 2000 to 20,000 euros, depending what you want in it. Yeah, that that's, sounds
1: about right to me too. So I was quite surprised to read that uh Data Direct, the UK distributor, have invested some hundreds thousand pounds on a new website. And I must admit, I left somewhat scratching my head on that particular story there. I'm like, sure where, you, a, uh, where you where you spent? I'm sure it's a very good website. It's certainly very fast and very responsive, as I think I'd
0: expect it to be for
1: that type of investment.
0: But uh, uh, it was the, the interesting problem is, is uh, yeah, websites have to evolve all the time. Uh, Zoldan, yeah, he's a weird in this area as well. Literally, you design a website Two years down the road, you're already planning the 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 next revamp of the website, and so it goes on, and so goes on. And I know from Stephanie's side, the Recycler uh, website is a beast. You know the thousands of stories and all the. I mean, it is a real beast, but uh, it's tough. Yeah, I I mean, I I was surprised when I saw it, and I thought, okay, you know, which company did that? I should buy shares in them. You guys, you guys don't see the smile on my face because I
2: actually I've see a 100,000 euro website from inside, yeah. Um, I've been working with uh, with companies uh, consulting. I mean, it's it's a typical case where what you see that's not worth not even five percent of the hundred thousand they spent on it. So I suspect that what's behind in terms of data, in terms of automation, yeah. in terms of CRM functions, in terms of the lovely cookies that we all love, yeah, uh, that's what worth the big buck when yeah. it comes to building websites. You know, the level of automation and level of uh, of data and, and taking decisions on that data that you pick up from an engine behind a very nice, very responsive and very fast website. This that that's what costs money.
0: Yeah. That's true. I give you that. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, you, yeah. if you hook up your website to an SAP system, you know, then, you know, you are spending a lot of money, but you're not spending a hundred thousand on a website. You're spending no. a hundred thousand on your whole website marketing automation integration and everything else.
2: No, the tools that are available right now, ready, out of the box, yeah. uh, those platforms are fantastic. Nobody needs uh, barely any websites are custom programmed nowadays in terms of looks and, and design and feel. You don't need that. What's behind that is uh, hours and hours of programming of what data and how to take that into account to make a decision that will affect your business.
0: The Recycler Extra Bits is currently sponsored by Static Control. I'm David Connett, and my guests are Lightward Senior Analyst Peter Mayhew and Jim Technologies Director of International Business Development, Sultan Mathieu. And finally okay so are you going to uh, Riemann expo Paperworld?
2: yes actually we just had a very uh, lengthy conversation about it and we decided that uh, absolutely we are we are doubling down our efforts on, on paperwork so we we'll, uh, we'll, we're looking to take
0: a move double as it was last year uh, definitely will be there Us two, yeah, I'll be honest with you um four days at the show you see enough people on the editorial side for Stephanie. You get enough ideas from conversational that stimulates editorial for the next three, six, nine months. You know, and you get insights that only ever come from having a coffee with somebody or a, a chat face-to-face. Never, ever... Those insights, that body language come from a, a zoom call. I have good zoom calls. I have good Skype calls, but never that interaction that you get face to face. And I always remember being at a trade show when I was a, a remanufacturer and I had a meeting with a guy and he uh, faxed me. That's how long ago it was. He faxed me on the booth and said, Oh, he couldn't make it, but he will be there on the last day of the show. So he, he comes in on the last day and you know we're starting to pack up and sit down you know make him a a coffee and everything and we have a good chat and then we have a bit of business with him you know it's worth at the time it was worth probably equivalent of about eight thousand euros a year so nice customer make good margin so i sat down and said so uh, what can we do to you know support you and get some more business you know small company you know and he said we're not a small company I said, but looking at the cartridges that we're sending you, know, you've got six printers. He said, yeah, we've got six printers in my office. He said, but I'm actually responsible for 4,000 printers across the whole organization. I went on to uh, win a big chunk of that business, but that would never have come up in a email or whatever, you, you know, that, that just came up in conversation and that's facing it. And that's what I missed about last year. That's what's challenging about this year. And I really can't wait for next year when, you know, we're all vaccinated and uh, we can all tell our, um, our, our COVID stories and, and just be social and engaging, you know, at a show or a conference or whatever. So, David, remind us of the dates for Bakewell next year. What's the dates? Okay, it's the 29th, 30th, 31st and 1st of February. Good. No, look forward, forward to it. Even book the hotel. If you need any hotel uh, recommendations, restaurants, let us know because, uh, you know, it's huge. But it's going to be a good show. But I feel that it's going to be something completely different in the sense of because of COVID and all the rest of it, this will be a, probably the first serious opportunity for people to come together. So it's never going to be bigger, better, different, smaller. Than previous, it's really a blank sheet of paper, and we're restarting again. That's that's my thinking.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with uh, you. You know, lately on right. on on all the Zoom conversation, it comes up like, yeah, well, hopefully one day when we when we when we can travel again, and we can meet face to face. So everybody, I think everybody is really ready for a good networking <laughs> event.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I Yes. Yeah, agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I remember the days of CBIT where didn't fly there, he drove there and and see it was 10 days, then not five or six days. The business is there and you win new business by getting out and meeting people. And I know a trade show, well, I know people is four days, but to me, Every day at a trade show is like a, a week on the road. So in four oh, days, that's, that's the equivalent yeah. of four weeks on the road and talking to people. And yes, it might take you a year to, to follow up with everybody. And sometimes, you know, you don't, you meet people, you talk, you don't win any business. You know, a year, two years down the road, you get a phone call and say, Oh, can you do this or can you do that? So talking to people is always important. We hope you've enjoyed the Recycler Extra Bits. Thanks to my guest Lightwood senior analyst, Peter Mayhew, and GM Technologies Director of International Business Development, Sultan Matthias, and our sponsor, Static Control. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. All right, take care and speak to you soon. I'm David Connett, and it's goodbye until next time. Thank you.